I, read, I listened to their sermons. I'd also like to thank all the commentators that I read and also the ladies that have supported me throughout their research of this lecture. And with that, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for this wonderful book of Romans that expounds the amazing gift of salvation by grace through faith. May our hearts be open to what each of us needs to hear, and I pray this in the name of your precious Son. Amen. Okay, I don't know how many of you ladies are on social media. Well, I saw a, a, um, something that I passed by on social media, and it was a post, and it asked an interesting question. It said, if you could remove from the world one thing, and just one thing, what would you take out? What would it be? Well, that was definitely a thought-provoking question to me. And I thought, well, okay, I'll take Satan out. That would be great. And then I thought, no, no. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that we would still be inherently sinful, even if Satan was taken out of the world. We would be the same. You see, the understanding of original sin is critical in the understanding of salvation by grace through faith. So let's talk about what sin is. The Bible calls sin the accursed thing, Joshua 7.13. It is compared to venom of a snake in 1 John 3.4. It pollutes the soul. Because you see, sin is really rebellion. It tries to eliminate God. It is ingratitude and an abuse of God's given gifts. This hatred of God dominates your will, and sadly, it ultimately damns your soul to hell. Romans 5.16 tells us that by one sin, by one man, at one time, it condemned all men for all time. Think about it. One sin condemned the entire human race spiritually, physically, and eternally. So really, when you think about it, my one sin is just as horrendous and offensive to God as that of Adam. There are no degrees of sin. Think of it. Each and every one deserves death. Well, wasn't that uplifting? But now, my favorite words in all the Bible, but God. One sin condemns, but one act, Jesus Christ on the cross, Christ's gift of grace empowers the judgment due our sin for all time and offers forgiveness. In our study of Romans, we've learned in chapters 1 to 3 the truth about how sinful and hell-bound man really is. Chapters 4 and 5 lead us through how God, through grace, uses grace through faith in a substitutionary death of Christ to show us God's mercy at work. The magnitude of that mercy is seen in Romans 5, 20 to 21. The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man's sinfulness is great, but infinitely greater is God's forgiving grace. Now that you've been taken out of, the, out of sin into salvation, what's the inevitable result of that? Chapters 3, 4, and 5 take us through that. Justification. Our debt was paid in full by Christ on the cross. Our chains of slavery to sin are broken, and we are now free from the judgment of God's wrath that our sin required. It's like the slaves after the Civil War who did not know how to act free. We, too, need to learn how to be free. Romans 6, 7, and 8 discuss our sanctification and our ability to act as free from bonds of sin. Holiness, you see, is as much a gift from God as redemption. Let's get into our study of Romans chapter 6. Paul continues with his courtroom approach and where the antagonist says that if you are saved by great grace, you can sin in excess to get abounding grace. Well, can you really be saved and remain in your previous active sinful lifestyle? Verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may uh, increase? May it never be. Paul asks, how can we who died in sin still live in it? You see, grace covers sin, but it never condones sin. It is by the calling away from your sinful life, not adding Jesus to it. Dr. Barnhouse stated, and I quote, Holiness starts where justification finishes. And if holiness does not start, we have the right to suspect that justification never started, unquote. Grace is the calling of Christ to leave everything and follow him. And how can we who died to sin, live in it any longer. You died to sin. You cannot be dead and be alive at the very same time. John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. You are now a new creation. Paul answers his question of whether God allows a saved man to remain unholy in the next set of verses. Verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Paul is stating that we are now baptized into his death and have become immersed. That means we are fused into Christ. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change washed clean we become immersed into his death and therefore we get buried with him we get buried with him so we can arise with him in newness of life this is great news verses four and five therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father we too might walk in the newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
We rose. We rose changed. We were justified for this purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come new. The new man rose, changed, not new in body, but he's new in quality. Romans 6, 6 and 7 states that knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is free from sin. Now, contrary to the belief of some, you don't have two natures. The old man, that is your old nature or your corrupt former self, this manner of life is dead, and it was buried with Christ. You rose with Christ in our new creation, and that even though new, remember, you're still not perfect. But it is no, you are no longer controlled by sin. The old man was controlled by sin. But the new man, who still exists in this fleshly body, is no longer controlled by sin, but now under the control of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. There has been a radical change in you. You have a new master. We are no longer controlled by, but remember we can still be tempted by sin. Praise God, we can now choose not to sin. We no longer serve sin, but sin's presence still exists. We have a new master, which means we are still responsible for our sins since sin's tyranny was broken. But it's no longer our master or ruling over us. Your soul has been redeemed, but our fleshly body was not. So this means you are still living as a new man inwardly, but outwardly, you are still encased in a body of flesh. It's like your new body is still is wearing just an old set of clothes. But you are new, but yet remember, not perfect. Verses 8 to 10. If now we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him, for death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. The power of death and tyranny of sin was broken by the one-time death of Jesus on the cross. Not like the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament that had to be repeated over and over, since the blood only covered sin. It never satisfied God's judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he was made sin for us to die for us to have that judgment satisfied. Jesus died to pay the legal penalty or the judgment of sin, which is death. So since we were immersed into Christ, we also died. And then we arose, a new creation. You see, believers are to be different. We are to live as that new man. John Newton said, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. 
I'm not even what I hope to be. But by the cross of Christ, I am not what I once was. Amazing statement. Verses 11 to 14 in Romans 6 could be titled, The Life of a New Man. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, but do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You see, God wants us to be holy. It's, it is not just don't do something. He's called us to do something. Take off those grave clothes of your own sinful self and be free to be what you have now become in Christ. We now have freedom of choice. You do something for God's glory. How do we do this? A commentator gave me a great way to take a look at this. He used three words. Know, reckon, and yield. The first word is to know, to have knowledge of, to perceive, to understand. To know, we truly need to understand the verses 1 to 10 of Romans 6. It is imperative that you know doctrine of being united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. To know sin is conquered. To know that an old self is dead and the power of sin broken. I know I'm new and I have a new master. Now, that we all now know. The second word is reckon to account, to compute, to confirm, to know as a fact. Here, as one commentator puts it, where doctrine gives way to faith, you know what it is to be true, but now you're required to believe it. Affirmation of truth is belief or a settled confidence. Salvation is an internal thing. It's hard to see yourself changed at first. And Satan certainly doesn't want you to see it or believe it. And you can't experience internal death and resurrection. You have to take it by faith. It's not a struggle between two natures. Your old self is dead and the power of sin is broken. It has no dominion over you. It's like you have a new boss. So we reckon or confirm it to be so by faith that I never have to sin ever again. I don't have to. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, no temptation has ever overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. I don't have to sin anymore. These wonderful words provide confidence in the face of te any temptation I face. Even if you choose or you fall to temptation, you can reckon 
or have faith, even though you need repentance, but you have confidence that you will never lose your salvation. The tyranny of death has been conquered. Praise God. Verses 12 to 13 give us a third word. The word is yield. To consent, to give over to or give in to. Sin is no longer a master, but it is still a force to be reckoned with. Our soul is now new and sin can only attack our humanness. When Christ comes, he will change our humanness, our body. Our soul is already changed. So you sin when you yield to your humanness. Your will or ability to choose is the key factor. Your choices can become a way of life. This is the problem. This is where discipline comes in. We are to be disciplined Christians. Sanctification is an ongoing process. Verse 13 says, yield not your members. Use it for God because, verse 14, we are not under the law or sin, but under grace. We are redeemed souls awaiting new bodies. Yay! 1 Corinthians 15, 50-52. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable in, inherit the imperishable. Nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Bring on that trumpet, Lord. To summarize, we can now live for God. We have seen that to know is your mind, to reckon is your heart, and to yield is your will. We know that the wages of sin is death. Chapter 6 tells us how we are made free from sin's control, and then it tells us how we are to be made holy. We go from slave of sin to bondslave of Christ. Jesus said in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. But if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. But does it give us license to sin? Okay, here comes 14, verses 14 to 16. For sin shall not be made master over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. But you do not know, do you not know, that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, neither of sin resulting, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. There is no middle ground. You cannot, under any circumstance, serve two masters simultaneously. If you sign up to serve a master, it is that master that you serve. You are under the reign of sin or you're under the reign of grace. When you come to Jesus Christ in conscious submission, you are now committed to obey 
and are subject to him. If you submit to the Savior as your Lord, you are not only ethically bound to obey, you are now creatively bound to obey. You are a new creation. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are created unto good works. We are ordained that we should walk in them. 1 John 2, 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. While we remain in our fleshly bodies and yet inwardly transformed, remember that sanctification is an ongoing process. Verses 17 to 22. They draw a contrast between two kinds of slavery. We have been made free of sin's penalty and power, and we now have become bondservants to a new master. In Scripture, you see, you never see salvation apart from commitment to Christ. Nowhere. That means obedience from the heart. Obedience not to avoid sin consequences, but to glorify God. We were born with an involuntary dominance to sin, but now changed. Verses 17 and 18 say they are two positions. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teachings to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. A commentator describes it this way. As a new Christian, you have been poured into a new mold and given a new life. You were molded at birth into sin, but when you became saved, God took, God melted you down and took those basic elements of you and he poured you into a new mold, a new created identity. You are, not a you are now a living form of the reality of the gospel. Let me repeat that. You are now a living form of the reality of the gospel. And you now respond under the lordship of God. That means guided by the Holy Spirit and live a life of righteousness imputed to you by Christ at salvation. Well, all I can say to that is, wow. We have gone from a position of being a creature that is classified as walking dead to one that's alive. That mold produced a new creature willfully obedient to a practice of living a new life. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For you, just as you presented your members as slave to impunity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. This is getting your practice in line with your position. One commentator said you were polluted on the inside and just evil on the outside. But now righteousness on the inside but for now still flesh on the outside you have now have the capacity to choose a lifestyle and it needs to accommodate your new nature we need to present our body or our humanness to God since our soul is already a new creation Romans 12 1 and 2 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable and perfect. Paul is telling us to, leave, to yield our bodies to righteousness, which leads to holiness or a state of perfection. Nobody stands still, since you will always move one way or the other. We are now to live a lifestyle that gives glory to God. When God told Pharaoh, let my people go, he also added, so they may serve me. Israel would have a new master, Likewise, we were created to honor and to serve in a way that produces glory to God. To glorify God is to reflect his character in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds, in your motives. That is our purpose on earth. How often do you reflect on that? Do you ever ask yourself, why am I here or how do others see me? Am I a servant to a new master? What's holding me back? Or what's propelling me forward? Romans 6 verse 20 tells us that in our old nature, we have no obligation to righteousness since we had no capacity for it. Nothing in our old nature could respond to it. So verse 21 says, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. What fruit did you produce that was not sinful? None. It produced fruit that only fills you with shame and only leads to death. Verse 22. But now... Great words, but now. Having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. What a verse to meditate on. A new creature, not only free from sin, but now wonderfully free from the bondage of sin. God did not just take away our sin, but he took away our nature to only sin. And if that isn't amazing, and amazing enough, we are now able to produce fruit, fruit unto holiness, which leads to everlasting life. From death to life, we possess a life that is not just quantity. We now have a life of quality. Sin is the king who uses our bodies as weapons to, pro, to promote unrighteousness. You see, the body is really neutral. You can use it for sin or for God as a weapon of righteousness. You have gone from, I can't get enough of my earthly life, to one of, I just can't get enough of Jesus in my life. We now come to verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. Uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin 
payment of something, you know, compensation. You earned it. So when you sin, you earn death. And justice required that you pay it. Did you get that? It is just and fair since you earned it, right? So the old nature could not choose not to sin, and so it was earning a just wage. It was earning death. And just as Paul has told us that the very best he could do as the greatest Pharisee that there was was nothing more than dirty rags. But now the gift of God is eternal life, a free gift. A gift is not a wage or something you can earn. How do you get this free gift from God? You can only receive it by grace through faith in Jesus Christ's death on the cross as a payment for your sin. He paid the price. Your debt was paid in full. You need to acknowledge him as your as your Lord, as Lord of your life by repenting of your sins. He proves he provides forgiveness and then gives you the righteousness imputed to you. You died with him and rose a new creation with imputed righteousness that now gives you the ability to lead a sanctified life. Is that not cool? You can now lead a sanctified life. You are a new creation, so your views are changed. Your motives are changed. You have new principles and lifestyles. You are to make new habits. Studying scripture, meditation, and ongoing prayer. Think of it. You now have a purpose in life. You are now employed in a new service. You have a new service, and it's to the glory of God. To end, I'd like to read something from you. Uh, this is a quote I saw from Dr. John MacArthur. Once I was free in the shackles of sin, free to be tempted, just bound to give in, free to be captive to any desire, free to eternally burn in hell's fire, till someone brought, bought me and called me his slave, bound by commands I'm now free to obey. Captive by beauty, I'm free to adore, sentenced to sit at his feet evermore. If you haven't turned to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you've never experienced what we're talking about today. I pray you turn to him today. Your eternal life depends on it. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you'll do your work in every heart, that we might come to truly understand what it means to be free, to rejoice in that freedom, that some might even be set free today. That is our prayer. We pray this in the name of your precious Son. Amen.